0: Today's episode is sponsored by Relief Factor. Pain from everyday living, exercise, or just getting older is one of the leading causes of trips to the doctor and sleepless nights. It interferes with daily activity and can even keep us from spending time with the people we love. If you have everyday pain, it stands to reason you need something you can feel comfortable with taking every day. That's why doctors invented 100% drug-free Relief Factor. Now tens of thousands of customers are using Relief Factor every day to become mostly or completely pain-free. 100% drug-free Relief Factor features four key ingredients that each work on different metabolic pathways to support your body's natural healing process to respond to pain and inflammation. Now you can try Relief Factor. The three-week quick start retail price of almost $70 is now available to our listeners for just $19.95. Head to the link in our show notes to find out more. Start your journey to better health and less pain today with Relief Factor.
1: Welcome to another episode of the so-called Oreos podcast, the podcast where we discuss all the awkwardness, hardship, and hilarity that comes along with society labeling you white on the inside and black on the outside, also known as an Oreo. I'm Amari Pollard, one of your co-hosts. Here with
2: yes, one. Sorry, I had to take it off of you
1: <laughs> <laughs> and Janae. Yes. Okay. So, how was everyone doing?
2: Ooh, I don't even know. It changes every day um first of all i just found out that chris evans has a girlfriend and not only does he have a girlfriend she is a regular person from the east coast and i just feel like that could have been me um
1: Wait, chris evans like is that captain america
2: yes i thought you were gonna
0: say she was black
2: me too oh, she might i don't know her race i just know she's a regular regular girl from the east coast which aka could have been me he used to date jenny slate who's that really <laughs> Yeah, I think it's what? so random. Yeah, Who's
1: for that? like a few years. I don't know uh, she's, that she was on SNL. She's a comedian. And now she likes, she's kind of like an indie darling. Oh.
2: I feel okay. like if, if Jenny Slate could get him, I could get him. Oh, sorry. That that just made me mad. I saw it on Twitter. Anyway, besides that, I had a good Memorial Day weekend. This is going to be like so old <laughs> with Memorial Day. But it was really good. I'm very happy about it.
0: Um, I'm feeling tired. I'm at my parents' um, house for the week, and I've just been busy, and I'm so sick of being busy. I'm over it. And on top of that, I'm sleeping every night on a freaking hard mattress. So I think I'm just like sleepy and annoyed and busy on top of that. So I've just been a little like, Mm. "Mm -hmm." like every day, just like.
1: "Mm." I I feel that.
0: Yeah, but you're going to leave soon, so. I'm getting ripped tonight. What? I don't what? know. It's a TikTok thing. It's a TikTok oh, thing. It sounds.
1: Why does everything sound so sexual to me? I I think that's, the song's sexual. How, that's... Oh, okay. I oh, think okay. I was I was
0: like,
1: it's sexual. I was like in your parents' house.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what the I'm getting ripped tonight means. I haven't
2: seen that on my TikTok. Is that white people's stuff?
0: I don't, girl, I don't know. It's this weird thing where people do, my sister is like addicted to these videos with this one guy doing this, I'm getting ripped tonight, shimmy, and then he goes into like a Harry Potter skit. But it's something that like people are doing.
2: Okay, that's
1: not bad. I don't, I, don't I'm just get not it. On it. I I don't understand. You know when like, you're intrigued enough to have questions but you're not intrigued enough to go search it
0: yeah i'm always in between that's exactly what happened when kia mentioned chris evans i said who that girl (laughs) i could have googled her i'm on my computer but am i gonna no i don't know i don't know what she looks like she probably looks like no she oh i thought she was talking about jenny slate
2: no, I think, wait, Jenny Slate, are we thinking about the same person? Because Jenny Slate is the one that does, like, cartoons. Like, her voice yeah, is, like, annoying. Yeah, that's who we're thinking about.
1: Yeah, who, who at one point was doing the voice of a mixed girl. Yeah,
2: I'm
1: big Now I'm going to Google her. Jenny Slate scurried away from that real quick, she is one under the radar for that real quick. That
2: always, yeah, that was that's a whole other thing. But I always was like, it's. I remember, I think I told you guys before they changed the actress. I was like, it's really weird that they're making this this white bitch is playing this mixed girl. I don't. I feel it's like it's like, wow.
1: What about like just getting a mixed girl to play a mixed girl? Like crazy, you know, revolutionary. But it's honestly really interesting to me what celebrities are like. I shouldn't even call them celebrities because I know they're actors whatever whatever um but like what people in the public eye get to like skate away from very like questionable questionable choices like you knowingly chose to play uh a mixed race character
2: I don't um, think she thought it that deep uh, yeah though. I
0: don't, think but, it's I don't not, think but that's
2: not even that deep no it's a problem that she didn't even think about it she was just like this is my role. I should take it because I should have everything because I'm white. I think it's ingrained in them that they should take everything. Exactly. I do. Like,
0: imagine, imagine the world being carved out for you to succeed and your choices always being supported and never questioned, and you never having to try twice as hard for anything. I feel like, as Black people, especially Black people who grew up around predominantly white people, our entire life, I knew when I was knee high to a duck, my parents were telling me for everything, you have to try twice as hard, you have to think twice as it's hard about everything and you have to do better than all these white people around you imagine never and even being that told that's that. not
2: enough
0: and even then it's not yeah. enough. <laughs> right. imagine never being told that how absolutely carefree you would be and how you would never think about just the smallest things like being aware of the fact that you are a person of color playing the voice of like someone else like uh, imagine that or like not a person of color playing the voice of a person of color Black people think about that shit because we have to. White people don't have to think about that shit. Yeah. They never had to. So they just be Ooh.
2: And of course, the only reason they switched that character is George Floyd. But I remember tweeting about that shit when I first started watching Big Mouth, I was like it's real fucking weird that Jenny Slate is playing Missy. And then George Floyd, now all of a sudden we're aware of it like cuz we didn't want to get canceled, but it's like do better. You don't get points for doing stuff after George Floyd. <laughs> like that's <laughs> my opinion. Well, before we go
1: to the outro and stuff, I just want to say, I'm really excited for the moment when the term canceled, just like leaves everyone's vocabulary and, or people become smart and understand that like, there is no thing as being canceled. Like no one is fucking canceling you. What people are doing is holding you accountable for the fuck shit you've been able to get away with for years. So no one is canceling you. You're fine. It's just, Hey, you did something wrong we're letting you know let's adjust course and be better
2: yeah I don't get the issue with that Seth Rogen actually said something where he was like comedians just have to accept that their jokes aren't aging well and that it's a different time because they're problematic
1: yeah like Dave fucking Chappelle
2: Honestly, on my video it says who's your favorite I think I told you guys this who's your favorite comedian and I had to say don't say Dave Chappelle not because like I hate Dave Chappelle but just because I'm like it's not interesting like I know you guys all, all men love Dave Chappelle I get it but also like no, I only not not like there's a certain kind of guy that likes Dave
1: Chappelle I shouldn't even say that because someone I know and like care about likes Dave Chappelle and he's like really upset I, like
2: I like Dave him. Chappelle too so I totally but I know I think I know what you're
1: saying yeah it's just like a certain like personality type or like oh like you just know they're just gonna say
0: something I that you don't like- want them to say It's kind of the same thing with like liking tacos. Everyone likes tacos because they're delicious, right? But it's like a certain type of white girl who's going to have, oh my God, I love tacos. And with Dave Chappelle, (laughs) Dave Chappelle is talented. Dave Chappelle is talented. He's famous for a reason. He is funny, but it's kind of like a certain type of guy that's going to be like, Dave Chappelle's the best comic and will unabashedly stand on his P's and Q's talking about Dave Chappelle without kind of acknowledging like, how some of his jokes just haven't age well and how if he likes of- Dave Chappelle,
1: he's I'm just saying there's a very high possibility he's transphobic.
0: I'm saying that if if he wants to stand up in liking Dave Chappelle without acknowledging the problematic things that Dave Chappelle has said, and the fact that Dave Chappelle has not acknowledged the fact that his jokes have not aged well and instead just said, Well, everyone's a uh, snowflake. If he's that type of guy, then he's that certain guy. But if if I I just don't want you to stand up in the fact that you like Dave Chappelle. You can like Dave Chappelle, but you shouldn't be out here beating your chest like everyone just know like Dave Chappelle's great.
2: I I feel like that's me with Kanye fans. That's what I think.
0: Yeah, we've gone over this so many times. Kanye West is very talented. Yes, but nigga needs some help period. Yeah. Period. And it's the same thing with them white girls who like tacos a lot. And they like tacos. It's like tacos. It's not a
1: personality trait.
0: trait. It's not a personality trait. We all like tacos, Jennifer, but it's not a personality trait. And maybe we should find something more inventive to talk about. Just like the bros who like beer. It's not a personality trait, Chad. Mm. All right. We know you like beer. It's Okay find something else all right we also know you guys all like the office we, we also know you, oh you my are. god the office.
2: it's not even the original
0: Ugh. the yes. office is great though i love the office i can literally quote episodes but is it a personality trait nah homie nah Get it safe. off the profile so sick of seeing the office is the greatest you ever debate me
2: no i'm not gonna debate you shut the fuck up you're not original.
0: I'm starting to feel that way with anime because I'm seeing a lot of people's profiles mentioning anime. And I'm like, y'all, I've been here standing in my truth for 27 goddamn years. And it seems like a lot of hoes are jumping on the bandwagon now. It's getting a little frustrating because now I'm about to be that basic Susan saying, oh, look, anime, in my profile. (laughs) And now I have to not openly proclaim my love for anime because a whole bunch of dizzy white hoes found TikTok and now they love anime, too. I'm getting in there. But anyway. Uh,
1: this is a very important conversation, but we won't, we won't go into it because y'all know we can be here all day. But we okay. just want to say or mention that we have a Discord. You're welcome to join. We also, we on Clubhouse. We got some merch and we will be changing it soon. We've gotten a lot of compliments on Choose Black Women. So y'all should
0: hop up on those. Choose Black um, Women and buy our merch.
2: Yeah.
1: Actually do it. Choose Black women and like actually do it. Like actually hire us, actually love us, actually protect us, actually like be kind and care about our mental health. We support you, Osaka. Um, (laughs) 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 And follow us everywhere on social media at so-called Oreos. Also guys, we just want to mention that this episode is special because of the topic, but also because we're going to take a little break we're going to go on a little hiatus. We've been giving you a lot of that good, good content, and we want to come back better than ever. So you can expect new things, new, great things from us coming your way, um, you know, at the end of the summer. Um,
2: so yeah, yeah. it's going to be new things, new merch, new name, all that stuff. Very exciting. So definitely get your merch, join our discord. We'll be revamping some episodes throughout the summer, but yeah, I'm really excited for us to come back in summer. New season, new new show, new us, new Oreos. Who this?
1: Heyo. We're growing. We're evolving.
2: So in honor
1: of you know Juneteenth coming up, we were thinking about what we want to do for this episode, and we just thought you know Juneteenth for us relates back to food, and we were able lucky enough to um, connect with. I don't want to. I don't want to ruin who we have on, but we we're able to connect earlier with a great, a great person, a great cook, great chef, um, and we have her on the show today. So let's we'll get into it.
2: Okay, so-called Oreos, we have a very special episode. So um, we have a guest, but before I introduce the guest, we're going to talk a little bit about Juneteenth because it's coming up this episode is going to be released released right before Juneteenth. And I know last year there was a lot of talk around Juneteenth because um, George Floyd and the protests and one of those things that white people pretended that they gave a shit about, but they really didn't. So now that it's the year after that, Juneteenth is still very important. If you don't know what Juneteenth is, it's short for June 19th. It's kind of like a combination of June 19th. And it marks the day when federal troops arrived in Galveston, Texas in 1865 to take control of the state and ensure that all enslaved people be freed. The troops arrival came a full two and a half years after the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, Juneteenth honors the end of slavery in the United States and is considered the longest running African-American holiday. So I just thought that was important because it's a holiday that's been celebrated. Um, I feel like more so in the South because honestly I didn't hear about Juneteenth until like I would say like around five to seven years ago. Um, that's just not something that's really celebrated at least around here, I guess, cause I grew up in a white town. I don't know, but uh, in the sorry, States too. Yeah. Not to cut
1: you off, Cube. I think that's interesting cause I grew up always knowing about Juneteenth, but because we always had celebrations in Syracuse, like there was always like a downtown celebration, but I grew up kind of being afraid of Juneteenth because my parents were like, something always pops off at these get togethers So like, we can't go. So it was always like, wanting like knowing what's happening and feeling like I couldn't
0: be a part of it
2: wait so y'all had enough black people in Syracuse to do Juneteenth
0: yeah we would it was a whole and and for a little amount of time we would go my family we would always go and there was the knowledge that things would pop off but basically what Juneteenth was in Syracuse was it was a whole bunch of black vendors um they would have people dance people sing it was basically like a um festival Yeah. Um, In the downtown area. And it was just sad because things would typically pop off. There was typically pop off. By pop off? You mean what? There would be gang violence. Someone would get shot. Someone would get stabbed. And it just sucked. I remember, you know, growing up in a mostly white area, being so excited for Juneteenth because typically my family would be involved in some way or my family member would. And I would be excited to talk about it. But then as soon as you talk to white people about it, they would be like, Oh, but something always happens. And and white people in Syracuse think the downtown area is just the scariest thing when really it's not. Um, but it just really sucked because it was like there was always a gang related incidents that kind of plagued talking about this otherwise great event.
2: Yeah, that's really unfortunate. Um, but it's I mean, it's kind of cool that you guys had that because I definitely like like I said, like I knew about it from like a conversation with my grandmother, who's from the South, you know, obviously we weren't taught about it in school. No one really t- told me, so I didn't know. And then I started like researching more. And then I heard about the celebrations that actually did a piece for Vice, that piece for Black History Month. And the writer was talking about how she grew up in um georgia and they were always do like juneteenth stuff and i was like it it was i was the writer with atlanta because they did that juneteenth episode in atlanta and i was like oh i had like no idea that there was like full-on celebrations i guess it's like there's some in the north but like bigger in the south um but i just thought that was super cool and i do think we're gonna see more things now sadly because of george floyd i mean i guess sad and good however you take it but um just wanted to give a little context of juneteenth Mari, did you want to say something
1: yeah, I was just going to say, I think it's interesting to when Janae and I were talking about Juneteenth and Syracuse, how there was a lot of food vendors and like today's episode is centered around food and connecting to our roots through this. And so I think it's perfect that, you know, Jordan is here with us. Sorry, I ruined who our guest is, but Jordan <laughs> is here with us today just to talk about like our relationship to food as black people Um Key, I don't want to steal your question because no, this is your question.
2: That was a great transition because I was like, how am I going to transition this into food? But Amari did it. She's a professional. Okay. Jordan, welcome to the podcast. Yay! Like, that was such a good segue. Thank you. I was just like,
1: the wheels were turning.
2: <laughs> I love it. That's so good.
3: Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Um, My name is Jordan, and I am the creator of a platform called The Melon Martha um, that explores the intersection of food and identity for the Black community. And so I do research and I'm basically curating a personal research project that allows me to reconnect with my own ancestors and reclaim my own power through the lens of food, through the lens of understanding food ways, where certain ingredients come from, how um, specific dishes became popular or important to the Black community. So yeah, that's a little bit about what I do and who I am. And
0: yeah. Awesome. So good to hear about all of that. Um, so during our pre-interview, you started looking at your food as if looking at your heritage. Um, why do you believe it's so important for us to appreciate the food that we eat?
3: For a few reasons, really. I mean, I spent a lot of time, I think we t- kind of went over this in our pre-recording too. I spent a lot of time, one, I grew up in a white, a predominantly white neighborhood, um, but I was raised in a family that are all African historians or African American history teachers. So I was kind of living in this dual world, in this duality of being in an all white community while also being part of a family that's super pro black at the same time. My family never ate food that represented who we are as black people. And so that was something that for me was an adjustment later on in life. But I also spent a lot of time abroad. So I lived in Italy for about three years and I traveled a lot. I traveled to so many different places and every single place that I went, I was realizing that food was such an important part of the culture. And after a while, I started to think about okay, well, how does food relate to my own identity? And I really had no, I had no connection. Like I grew up on Tyson chicken nuggets and like Marie Callender's chicken pot pies. You know what I mean? Like it was convenient. I lived in a convenient world, Um, and. you know, being raised in a predominantly white neighborhood anytime I went to my friends' houses, they weren't necessarily eating soul food or foods of the African diaspora or foods that, you know, reflect my own blackness. So I started to kind of take a look at my own connection to food after I came back to the States. But then it really was when George Floyd was killed that I completely revamped what I was doing in terms of being involved, being involved um, in the food industry in terms of like my own blackness. And so I think I know, actually, I know that it's important for us as black people to take a look at the foods that we're eating and why they're important to us because food tells a story. It gives us a way of connecting to ourselves, to each other, and also to our own history in a way that nothing else can. When we look at food ways and where certain things come from, like watermelon, black-eyed peas, rice, we're forced to take a trip down history. We're forced to take a trip to our roots, to Africa, and look at the transatlantic slave trade, look at enslavement, look at civil rights, look at present day, look at food apartheid, food deserts, the system, oppression. When we start talking about food, we are opening up the door to talking about so many so many important aspects of who we are as black Americans that nobody is talking about or hasn't been talking about up until this
0: point. So well said, so well said. Um, So there's a lot of anti-black sediment in the food world. For example, why is kale considered healthy when things like collard greens are not? Can you just dive into that?
3: Let me tell you. That irritates me like no other, okay? Because I mean, it's just this. I it's it's literally system. It's systemic. It is systemic racism at its finest. It's anti-blackness. It is white supremacy at its finest, and it's embedded in everything that exists in America. When we start to look at the food industry. And we look at trends, we start to see the policing of black food. A lot of black folks have this idea, and and some of it can I mean, it does make sense, right? Our food and the foods that we feel most connected to came into fruition because of slavery. We were not, we were given rations of food that were the bottom of the barrel. Like we were given the crap food of everything and having to make it into something delicious and beautiful. However, when we start looking at specific ingredients like beans or greens and rice, the policing of those things to me just makes no sense. And it's just a way to gain control and to keep us oppressed, to keep our minds colonized in some way, shape or form.
1: Just to go off of that, just because I'm still thinking about High on the Hog. And I, um, this Netflix series based off of this book, and they were talking about, um, I think the term is like golden rice. And it came out of the South and, you know, it was brought over because of Africans. And like that is what created the wealth in the South. And so it's just interesting now to now see um, how like golden rice disappeared and now it's like slowly coming back but also like you said like the policing of food where now we're taught to believe rice is bad for you so instead of rice you need to have what what what's that thing that doesn't taste good but it's like kind of the texture of
2: rice quinoa quinoa thank you quinoa or cauliflower rice wait is rice not good for you anymore like brown rice is that so good and I think anything
3: can be good for you in moderation. And that's just the way that I choose to, to view anything, honestly. Um, even the idea of like cooking things in lard, you know, or butter. We have this idea that like butter is so bad for you. And real in reality, we actually need to be looking at the manufacturers of these ingredients and not necessarily the ingredient itself. Because if you go to other places like France, for example, they eat butter like it's fucking water. Excuse me. I don't know if I'm allowed to. <laughs>
1: you, can, you can curse. <laughs>
0: I also eat butter like it's water. I
3: also eat butter like it's water. Are you kidding me? Like, and so, yeah, I just, it's really interesting Amari that you say that because yeah, we brought over a cash crop, you know, Carolina gold rice, rice was one of the most fruitful industries in the United States. And so like how how are we gonna police it? I mean, now it, it came it became t- so fruitful to the point where Black folks couldn't even afford to purchase Carolina gold rice anymore. Um, and so when the crop went away, of course we're like, okay, you know what? It's bad for you. We don't even we don't need it anymore because like you're not making money off of us. It's all about it's all about the monetary.
1: And another thing, the show made me think about was just like the anti Blackness that we see even in who gets to be in the kitchen, who gets to own the restaurants, and The show kind of brought out that there were so many of these soul food restaurants in Charleston, but where, you know, soul food originated, but they weren't owned by black people. Um, So you have soul food restaurants not operated by black people, but you and you also have white majority white people enjoying these restaurants. And it's just like really annoying and frustrating to see. And I'm wondering if you could just speak more to how food has been our food as black people has been simultaneously trashed and co-opted by another culture.
3: That's an interesting, that's an interesting point, because my, yes, I can, because the thing about it is that when we look at, when we look at the history of African-American cuisine, it is fusion food. It's fusion food of Native American dishes, it's fusion food of African dishes, and this fusion food of European dishes. So although all of these different um, ethnic backgrounds or cultural backgrounds are a part of our, our food in like as black folks to be able to make a profit off of black food, food that one people police all the time two food that we had no choice, but to eat and create and, and food three that is based in our own identity is something that we see a lot of the time, even like chefs like Paula Dean. You know who like that one was like calling people the N word but then like making peach cobbler, you know, and it's like yeah I understand there are plenty of white folks who live in the south, and that's the type of food that they're used to eating they're used to eating soul food they're used to eating food that's created because of history, by the hands of black folks. So for them, it's something that's just like, this is this is what we grew up on. You know, it's like for me, I grew up on Tyson's Chicken Nuggets. I don't necessarily feel connected to it, but like if somebody was like, yo, do you know about Tyson Chicken Nuggets or can you make me Tyson Chicken Nuggets? I'd be like, yeah, I grew up on that. Like, that's what I know. And so, yes, I I do understand that there are a lot of white folks that only know in the South of soul food. However, I think the problem is that they're not taking accountability or paying tribute or acknowledging where that comes from. That's the whole part of the appropriation that I can't wrap my head around. You know, you can make food, make a profit. You can call it what you want, but acknowledge the roots and where it comes from and give credit where credit is due.
2: I think that's such a good point because I feel like that goes with like everything. Like we're talking about food, obviously, but even with like Hairstyles and people are like, why are black people so protective of their hairstyles? It's like, because like our hair is different. You guys make fun of us for our hair. You fucking make us feel terrible about the hair that we, you know, live in. And then we do styles that only our hair can really do. And then you fucking steal that. And then you want to be racist as shit too. And it's like, how are y'all going to steal our culture and then not even acknowledge it? And I think that's like a huge part where it's like, people like i feel like white people get so offend like defensive when we talk about like white privilege and it's like for the first step is even for you guys to even acknowledge like simple things like the privilege and then the appropriation like y'all are still debating us on that and it's like how can you not see that like soul food is from black people and like it's so big in the south because that's what we literally had to make when slavery was predominantly there and that's why it made it into your homes
1: because of slavery because you You had us in the kitchens, you had us taking care of your kids like that. That is why
3: you have even been brought into this, you know, space. The entire country is built on blackness. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like they just I mean, and when you acknowledge that you have to open a lot of doors, it's like opening a can of worms. And I totally get that. But at the same time, it's easier for them, for white folks to not have to take accountability or to acknowledge how they have contributed really the bare minimum, if
2: that. Yeah. And I don't want to see like those same people who like own these soul food restaurants and stuff. I feel like it's like the same people who like, are like just now getting woke because of George Floyd, and it's like you like they want to be an ally, but it's like look look what you've contributed for the last X amount of years. Like you literally took black food, profited on it. How many people? How many black people do you employ? How much money of this goes to black communities? And it's like, but then you want to be the ally and stuff like that. Like I just I can't get behind that. I know it's like probably different. I don't know if they talked about this in the um, the Netflix um, doc, but I need to watch it. But I did. I remember reading about. Um, the history of fried chicken and how that had came from I think it was Sweden or Scotland or something like that and uh, basically like it was it was trash and then black people like basically fried it and like seasoned it and it became fried chicken and I just thought that was so interesting that we like took something from Europe and like made it amazing and now it's like still like something that like everyone loves.
3: Yeah because when you look at the way that our food came into fruition a, so it's a a bunch of little pieces put together to create a bigger puzzle so it's this idea that one we were cooking for white folks we were also cooking for ourselves we were also cooking for ourselves with limited resources and we were also given higher quality ingredients to prepare meals for the big house and so you have a lot of different things coming into play i mean even when you look at our loves of stews gumbo You know, things like gumbo comes from originates from Africa, but it's also this idea to put as much things and things into a pot to let them slowly cook and have the flavors develop while you go back to work to do your job. And then even looking at things like shrimp and grits, grits is something that anything based in corn is coming from native indigenous people in the Americas. And so you start to put all of these things together and that's what creates our, our food. It's this idea of, and, and it's beautiful because as African Americans, as black folks in America, we don't necessarily all know our lineage. We don't all know who exactly where we started but when we start to look at our food ways we can create and kind of gain this appreciation of we can really do it all and we have the ability to create the story and the narrative that that we feel most connected to because there's so many different avenues and so many different ways of making things or so many different influences that we're gaining that we're you know gaining from so it's it's really, really interesting when you start to really look at the food ways.
1: Again, I'm obsessed with the show, but I think it just made me think about a lot of things. And I was sitting back, like, processing it. And I was thinking about it from the perspective of a first-generation American. And I was just sitting back and feeling like, I felt really sad because I, in a lot of ways, I feel like I've lost two homes. I've lost Jamaica and I've lost Africa. And I feel like there's, like, so many layers to, like, finding that, Um like those connections or like, I identify as like a black American, but I understand that my family came here from Jamaica. So it's like this like disconnect and like trying to, but also trying to connect to, to this history here. That's is still my history. Um, and it made me think about like when I, uh, last a few months ago, or last year, actually, what is time? I decided to cook my way through a Jamaican cookbook, and I had felt so close to like my heritage for like the first time, really, and just like sat with it. Um, and I thought that was I thought that was really that was really powerful because um, I, I had never really you know thought about food in that way, or even given myself the space to explore my kitchen in that way. Um, because growing up, my kitchen always felt like my mom's domain. Like I step in to help here and there, but this is not my place. Um, and speaking of places and being in the kitchen, there can be a lot of trauma associated with black people in the kitchen since that's where a lot of our ancestors were forced to be. Um, and so I'm wondering if if you could speak to like how we can move, if people have those feelings around the kitchen, that trauma, how we can move beyond that. Um, and even if you have mixed feelings, about your relationship to the kitchen, as you know, a black woman, you've worked as a private chef, like cooking for other people. If you have feelings about that,
3: yeah, absolutely. That's a really interesting point. It actually makes me think about the Netflix series "Chef's Table." Love that series. It's so good. Okay, so it's so good. Um, I think it's the first episode. I don't know if it's the first episode with Mashama Bailey, who's a black chef in Savannah. I want to say
1: that's one um, of my favorites. I never wanted to go to Savannah until that episode.
3: Until that episode, girl, that episode was amazing. And there is a part where I think her parents are talking about how they felt when she decided that she was going to be a chef and she was going to be a cook, how they felt like it was her taking a step in the wrong direction. And that is the case for a lot of people. I have always loved to cook. I grew up in a very tumultuous environment, um, although I grew up in a really nice neighborhood, you know, a great, a great neighborhood. It was safe. It was, you know, whatever. But I had a very tumultuous household, like inside of my home. And so for me, the kitchen was where I sought refuge is where I felt the safest is where I felt in control. Cause a lot of, a lot of my upbringing, I felt very out of control and, but I never wanted to work in a restaurant. I never wanted to be a chef because I knew because of my family and the work that they do, I knew that being of service was something that as a black woman, I was supposed to try to get away from. That was the reason why I was going to school, why they put me through, you know, all these programs while I was like working so hard, while I was getting good grades was so that I didn't have to be of service. I always, I was like, I'm not gonna work in a restaurant. I'm not gonna be a chef. I'm not gonna work, you know, in hospitality. I've worked in hospitality my whole life. And I have, I've worked as a nanny. I've worked in the hair industry. That's what I was doing before I decided to make the switch to food. Um, I've worked in restaurants, in front of house. I've been a server. I've been a hostess. I've literally created my my livelihood around making people feel good, regardless if that's cooking for them or or serving them in some way. To go back to your question about how we can reclaim our power in the kitchen and not feel like we're taking a step back, I'm not going to lie to you. It's really hard. If I'm serving a white person, if I'm serving white folks, I have a very hard time with doing that. Um, I I just do, and sometimes it's a part of my job, and I suck it up and just do it and and do it with 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 grace. But a lot of the time, I have chosen, if I have the choice, that I'm going to be of service for black folks because we deserve good service, we deserve good food, we deserve hospitality that is that is more than up to par, Um, that is more than amazing. So when I was a private chef, I was working for a black family. I try to give back in that way when I can. When I'm in my kitchen, I feel most connected to my ancestry. I feel in control. I can move in my kitchen the way that I want to move in my kitchen. I could cook the things that I want to cook. It's my, it's my safe space. You know, people come to my house. Even if I go to parties, if I go to a dinner party at my friend's house, you usually find me in the kitchen. I'm the one like refilling stuff or like, I'm going to make a snack for everybody. Or like, you know, sometimes I'll just sit there. Cause like, I'm not really a group person all the time. So I'll just like go to the kitchen. The kitchen is the place where we gained our power. And I'm going to tell all of your listeners, it really granted us our freedom in a lot of ways. The kitchen and being in the house, the bigger house serving during the enslavement period was our way to be able to listen and to digest what was happening in a way that was not happening for the people who were working out in the fields. We were able to sit and listen to all the conversations. We were able to, to understand what was happening. And then we were taking what we were listening, what we were hearing and giving that information to the people that were out in the fields. It created this dialogue that would not have happened if we were not cooking, if we were not inside of those homes. And a lot of people
0: don't realize that. I've never, never, ever thought about it that way. It, to me, it was just the difference between the house slaves and the field slaves, and honestly focusing in on that through a colorism lens, but not thinking about kind of the, not the positivity, but how black people were able to use their position in the house and use that to get a leg up in the situation. I never thought about that. So that's an amazing perspective.
3: Most of us don't. Right. We just think like, oh, we were just, you know, serve and we were like that's I mean, it's not necessarily a positive perspective because like it's still rooted in extreme trauma, like the things that were also being a cook was one of the hardest jobs that you can possibly imagine. I mean, you're slaving over a open fire in uh, like layers and layers and layers of garb with cast iron. And I mean, you didn't have it easy. You were waking up at the crack of dawn, you were cooking for yourself, you're cooking for your family, you're cooking for, you know, the white folks. It was a laborious job. And like, that also brings me a lot of power knowing that my ancestors were able to survive that type of labor. And still create something so delicious,
2: comforting and beautiful out of that. I feel like that's like the the best part about being black honestly. It's like black people are, are so resilient, like our ancestors are ancestors are so resilient and like we're like the coolest, prettiest, amazing people ever and people want to steal like our features, our hair, our music, our food and like they're still trying to keep us down and there's it, it's not happening. It's not happening. I just think that's so amazing. Like what other culture could, could go through the stuff that we did. And y'all, we are the culture. Yeah. We're, we're still the culture, even though you try to like murder us and kill us and whatever you want to do. It, it's crazy, but that is a good way to think about it. And I think you kind of answered my next question, which was, I mean, how do we unlearn white supremacy in our food? I mean, it, it, is it reshaping the things that I don't know that that kind of how you wrote reshaped, like the idea of like the history between food and black people. I was vegan for
3: a really long I've tried every diet under the sun. And that brings me to a whole other point of, of, of dieting and diet culture and that being based in white supremacy, too. But like, you know, I was under the Im- impression that to be healthy, I had to completely reject, you know, the foods that brought me the most comfort. And when I started to question why I was giving into that, it was really based in me wanting, I don't want to say like, take the easy, easy road and just say, you know what, if that's, what's going to be the easiest, then I guess, you know, what's going to make it the easiest for me to be healthy is going to give me, you know, make me happier is going to be the way that I can use food as medicine Then I'm going to do it. The reality of it is to adopt or to, to appreciate black food as a black person you're going to have to do some work i'm not going to just tell people like oh yeah just eat all the collard greens you want you're going to feel great about it you're going to feel like crap because everyone's commentary on soul food black food foods of the african diaspora is so negative and it's also traumatic so to to face the trauma you have to face the trauma to then move through the trauma and that's really the way that we're going to be
0: able to 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 actually appreciate and love and love our food just a comment on that really quickly. I do feel a lot of pride in my Southern heritage. And I think that, I, I i think maybe I somehow escaped that shame or was never really exposed to it because for me going to school and knowing that, you know, my daddy made me grits every morning and that my grandma's making that peach cobbler or, or, um, I don't know, collard greens, cornbread, and that no one else can make it like she can. And when these little white folk run around I'm like, oh, I've had cornbread, I'm like, nah, it's not the same. I mean, personally, for me, soul food and knowing that what my family eats is one different and way better than everyone else, and going to these little white kids' house and they have like milk and get called dinner supper. And don't have no seasoning on they shit. For me, that was always like, this is a sense of pride because I'm well seasoned and well flavored. I don't care if I have tons of butter in my shit. It's delicious. I love that so much. Some of
3: us have grown up in households where we have had no soul food like myself. Some of us have grown up in households where we only eat soul food on special occasions. And some people grow up in homes where they have soul food all the time. And I think the people who have soul food all the time definitely have a different appreciation for it. and 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 I definitely know so many people that look at soul food and they're like, Mm-mm, that is slave food. I'm gonna just reject it or they try to modify it in some way. They make it vegan. you know, they do they do all these different things just to make themselves feel like it's it's a healthier dish because the narrative is, soul food is unhealthy for you and it's going to kill you. Like that's, that's the idea that we have centered around it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you look at even
0: media now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the movie soul food, didn't big mama like die from diabetes or something like that. And the movie's called soul food. And that movie is a staple within the black community, basically saying that like big mama ate all this nasty food and now she don't want to go to the hospital and now she finna die (laughs) you have a question though because i feel like there is some
2: truth rooted in like the food we eat and like our i guess like i don't know maybe i'm wrong about this i didn't really do research right now but like the you know soul food typically like we see it as like something that's like a lot of cholesterol a lot of salt a lot of butter and like if you eat that constantly like that's why you have like shit like gout and diabetes and hypertension is that not true or should we be looking at it in a different way or like what's the relationship between that
3: so i know what i'm about to say is probably a little controversial um i personally think we need to be looking at that in a different way because the problem is not soul food itself the problem is the lack of resources in the black community And the lack of resources is embedded in a very, very dark history. If we had access in more predominantly black and brown neighborhoods to fresh vegetables, farmers markets, I mean, community gardens, we would see a totally different relationship with food and with our bodies. If we lived in neighborhoods where it was safe to go jogging on a Thursday night or a Saturday evening and you didn't have to fear, you know, what was going to be happening around you, like if we had access to to more. I don't know, outdoor resources. We lived in more beautiful neighborhoods that made people actually want to go outside and be active and use their bodies. If we didn't have to work three times as hard as everybody else to like do anything, we would see such a difference in our own health. The things that kill us, sure, we do. Our food is does have a lot of cholesterol. We fry a lot of foods to make things taste good, but it's because of the lack of money, the lack of resources, and the lack of access to be able to move freely and rest and not live a stressful life. So I think all of those things we need to take into consideration, not just that we're eating
0: fried chicken and cornbread.
2: (laughs) We're all like, yes, (laughs) yes. (laughs) All those fingers
0: are like. (laughs) You're getting us hyped up. All of us unmuted. All of us unmuted because I was about survival. Is that what you're saying? I was about to say black people live more stressful lives because of the way this country is structured. Yes. Our food isn't the most healthy, but it wouldn't be that big of a, it's a way of survival. There's
3: also, in addition to that being a way of survival, I think it's also very interesting when we look at the types of stores, there's lots of like, even when I was a kid, we would go to the corner store. Um, My cousin didn't grow up in the same neighborhood. She grew up in, um, a different neighborhood that didn't have as many resources as my neighborhood did, and we—I would go to her house. We would go to corner store. We get hot Cheetos. I don't know if you guys do this over East, but in Chicago, we would get hot Cheetos. Okay, and we would put hot cheese and meat on them, and then we get a pickle. It was like a whole thing. Hot, che- yeah, it's delicious, guys. It's actually delicious. Um, treat yourselves if you can. But we would go get. Stuff like that, and we would get candy. I always would get Mike and Ike's Now and Later's, those little chewy fruity things. Oh, those! And they would sell them in the bags, little plastic bags. You know, you could even get them on the train. And I just remember being with all my black friends, and we would like take all of our little change and like get all of these treats and snacks because they tasted so good. And for a group of people that is oppressed, to have that quick instant, you know like moment of happiness through, through sugar, through, through high fructose stuff, high fructose corn syrup and sugars. Like those are the things that we're doing to, to give ourselves a little bit of happiness and they're preying on us. Like white folks are using that as a way to one, become richer and also to keep us down. So I think it's a lot of different things that we have to take into consideration that are killing us.
1: I think it also just comes from reframing things a lot. I, I didn't even know people referred to soul food as slave food until Kia mentioned it one time when we were talking. And to me, that was just a surprise because I felt like, I don't know, to me, soul food just feels so warm and it's like a community thing. It's like associating with like family and like grandmas and people in the kitchen, like, you know, just ch- talking. And I think also even looking into the history, soul food is just so innovative because yeah, like we had before, we were given little, but we did a lot with what we were, what we had, and that was what created soul food. So I'm like, how do we get more people to, to embrace that kind of narrative around the history of our
2: food?
3: We have more conversations like this. I think conversations is the first First step. I am um, also an advocate. I know COVID was COVID was crazy, and we couldn't be in spaces with each other. But we host more conversations revolving food and our own identity, and we cook for each other, and we sit down and we eat together, and we celebrate it, you know. And and I think right now we're in, we're living in such a beautiful time because we are so unapologetically open to rejecting anything white. Like, I don't even eat quinoa. (laughs) Like, I'm so tired of quinoa and kale. Like, I'm not going to lie. It it barely makes its way in my house at this point, you know? But I take time to stew beans, to eat collards, to pickle watermelon rinds. I read cookbooks like they're novels. I research Black chefs. I follow, you know, up and coming Black cooks. I look at homemakers. I do things by hand. I try to make spices by hand. Like I really just try to get to the root. This is the the beauty about being Black. Is that you have the ability to use your hands in whatever capacity that you want, and know when you use your hands, something amazing is going to come out of that. It's literally embedded in your blood, and so I think that's the way that we really, we really embrace it is just by coming together, being communal, and using our hands. I mean,
1: you've you've kind of went over this in the beginning about like um, how we can better understand ourselves, you know, through our food. Um, and you know, it's not an easy process to, because some of the trauma of the history. Um, and also I think sometimes it's also scary getting to know yourself. Like, do I really want to know the inner roots of myself? And, um, it's, I think it's bringing yourself into a space of vulnerability. And so for you personally, I'm just wondering, like, what has your personal journey been like, uh, through food, you know? cooking it, connecting with it. Just like, what's it been like for you?
3: It honestly has been the most life-changing experience in more ways than not. It's, it's changed the way that I show up in spaces. It has changed the things that I tolerate and don't tolerate in society, in the world. It has allowed me to connect with my ancestry in a way that has been monumental um, it's also changed the way that I look at my body, the way that I treat my body, um, the way that I talk to myself, the way that I talk about other people, other black women. It is it's really been it's been a life changing experience because I grew up in a like I said, I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood where everybody was running around and with like Hollister skinny jeans and like Birkenstocks with their little messy white girl buns eating like, and their parents were making them salad for fucking fifth grade lunches. I'm like, I did not grow up on soul food y'all. Okay. And I was, I was a black girl in that environment, (laughs) you know? And so being able to have a different relationship with myself through food has been a journey and it hasn't always been easy. I've had to do a lot of unlearning, a lot
0: of unlearning. And, and just one last question that I have for you, what advice would you give to, you know, a, a young Oreo in that same environment that you grew up in who wants to start the journey of doing some of that unlearning through food?
3: I have a few, a few things. I would say one, talk to, talk to your elders, let them guide you, um, Let talk to them get the recipes, get the recipes, try the recipes, make the recipes, sit down with the recipes and give thanks to your ancestors for the rest for those recipes and hold them very close to your heart, because those recipes hold more power than you know, Um, I would also say to to not listen to society always, let it go in one ear and out the other, your body is yours and there's nobody out there that is going to be exactly like you and embrace who you are. Um, I think that was a really hard thing for me was like embracing my blackness in the midst of being the only, only one who looked like me. And also just know that like, eat the cornbread, like don't, don't do, do not reject your own identity and your food ways and your food because of what other people are saying to you. The moment you do that is
0: the moment that you are canceling yourself. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. I just love
1: everything about this. Also too, because I feel like people have, I think sometimes it's weird, like food is so important to just people in our way, but we also have a, a habit of belittling it and like making it seem like it's not as important or it's not this powerful. And I hope people who listen to this can really feel like the gravity of this conversation and just like, to me, this feels very powerful and this like feels like I want to sit in this longer Um So, yeah, because I feel like, you know, growing up was always like food, whatever. Like we always kind of like belittle it, like cast it aside. Like if someone wants to be a chef, like why would you want to do that? Um, And but then when I think about all the great conversations I've had in my life, all the great things that I've enjoyed, it's been with people I loved eating food, being in community together. And I and that's not a small
3: thing. That's what saved us it's literally what has saved us and it's what is going to give us liberation
0: or give us the feeling of liberation in the end yeah i think i'm gonna go make some cornbread after this honestly honestly i think i will my mom made some last night i'm
1: not gonna lie i grew up on that i grew up on that jiffy out of the the box cornbread (laughs) me too you
0: can you can freak that that be
3: my last word of advice. Let me tell you, that's my last word of advice. Y'all just let's step away from the instant everything. Like instant everything. If you got it, use it, because that's what you have access to Thank right you. now. But if you can, don't do that no more.
2: <laughs> yeah. My mom used to always like add some stuff to the jiffy. Now that I think about it, I don't think I've ever seen her make let me not out my mother. Let me let me just shut up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> let me not out my mother. <laughs> You can freak the out-the-box Jiffy mix. You can freak it. You just got to add some stuff to it. Okay, but you you're going to
3: make it. it and then post it
0: and tag me in it. So okay. I can see this. Okay, okay. <laughs> I got you. I got you.
1: But no, but it's like really true though because I went to a restaurant the other day and they had cornbread and this shit was... Did
0: they have the chunks of corn in it? Oh God, I hate that. No, Sorry. no. Oh, okay. it,
1: was, it, was, it was like so good. Th- it was just so good. And I can't remember how much money was spent on it, but I was really like... I'm really going out to this restaurant getting this cornbread spending so much money on it. I can't even say I spent money on it. I didn't buy that dinner, but anyways, like you could just make that stuff by yourself. And I think that's just like how we need to rethink most things. Yeah. Like I remember when we did our, I don't know if it was in the pre-interview or wasn't our live recording, but you were just saying like, if I, if I can make it, like if I know I can make it, I will, like I will get those ingredients and I'll do that. And I think, not that I'd make my stuff, but Jordan, you've really impacted me because I feel like I'll go to the I'll go to the, the the market and I'll think, I know I should be making this because I can. <laughs> But I'm a body.
3: But that's so I'm so happy to hear that because I really think that that is what has given me like this moment of where I'm like, wow, I really have a lot of power. I can make anything from scratch. And like my cousin came to visit me. She was in Philadelphia. She came to visit me last week and she was like, Oh man, I really want some soul food. I really want some comfort food. And I was like, Okay, well, you need to tell me in advance because anything you want, I have to make it from scratch because I don't have. I have all of the ingredients to make anything from scratch. And she was like, okay, well, I want some, I want some black eyed peas. I was like, girl, you got to tell me in advance. Cause I only have dried beans, <laughs> you know, that everything that I cook takes time. And yeah. So that makes me very happy that like other people are now starting to think about how can I make my own ingredient? Like, how can I make my own things using the ingredients that I have access to? That's awesome.
2: Ooh, I'm going to do that too. Yes. I love that. Definitely. I love your podcast. You guys are doing great
3: things. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys. I appreciate it.
1: So, that was a great conversation we had with Jordan of the Melon and Martha. And now we just want to go into social responses. In preparation for this episode, we asked you all a couple of questions about your relationship to Juneteenth, your relationship to soul food. Um, and you gave us some great great feedback um so we just want to get into it kia do you want to start off with twitter first or do you want me to do instagram um
2: i can do twitter because it's not as exciting ever. <laughs> uh yeah follow us on twitter at so-called <laughs> um Okay, dokie. Let me, let me pull some tweets. Okay. So we did, um, I did do a little poll a little poll. poll. Um, I said, June is here. We want to know, do you celebrate Juneteenth? Uh, 75% of you said, yes, you do. And 25% said you do not. And uh, what else did I do for some Twitter? I said prepping for our next episode on food and black culture. Do you consider it soul food or slave food? Feel free to explain. So, we got a couple of responses that I thought were interesting. Um, someone said, huh, folks really out here comfortable calling anything slave food? I said, yes, some people do call it slave food. Um, <laughs> then someone said, depends on the food. Collards and neck bones equals soul food, but chitlins and pig feet equals slave food. And I said, interesting what makes chitlins and pig feed slave food They said i don't consider it food fit for human consumption it's something you eat if you literally have nothing else uh, another response is chitlins is the slave food at champ they smell alone okay twitter people <laughs> and um then i said what's your favorite soul food dish and none of you answered so
1: <laughs> if you can't <laughs> tell kids i'm saying But I think it's so. I think it's really interesting about um, the pig feet because I know in there's some cultures it's like you you honor the animal by eating every part of it. So I think that's interesting. Um, But I've also to myself I've never had pig feet. So
2: I've never had pig feet. I heard my family like talk about it, and I know in the South eat chitlins and all that stuff, and like pork rinds. um, Pork rinds are good yeah they are i i don't think i uh, entirely know oh wait, and they also eat chicken gizzards down there like when i go i don't know if that's considered slave food or soul food (laughs) that should be a game show
1: (laughs) (laughs) but i also think it's interesting too because um you know my family is i've already said 20 million times like my family's jamaican so i you know we I remember my mom growing up, like talking about, like, I think it was like chicken feet, like soup or something like that, you know? So in different cultures, you eat different things. Um, so I guess I never, I just never thought of that as being weird, you know, or, or slave food.
2: Yeah. I didn't think about it until my cousin mentioned like slave food. And that's,
0: I think that's partially why we had that conversation before we did this episode. I never uh, have heard someone refer to it as slave food. Do I like chitterlings? or pig's feet nah but i've never thought of it as slave food not at all it's just not food that i like i mean i went to spain and they were eating pig ear so
2: they do eat that they do eat cow tongue too yeah right okay um, those ig responses yes
1: y'all they were plenty y'all are always so active on instagram um
2: twitter too
1: yeah he is funny on twitter
2: i'm pretty funny on twitter you
1: are Thank you. I think you're funnier on Twitter than I am on, on Instagram. So I don't know.
2: I can't express my comedy through like photos or like, it's hard for me to do that. I feel like Twitter is like, if you want to really? know my personality, go to my Twitter. Like I hate when people are like, what's your IG? Like, no, I look bland as fuck on IG. Go to my Twitter. That's where it's at.
1: Cute, you're funny. Yeah. <laughs> um. So we asked you all some more questions on IG. We said, do you celebrate Juneteenth? 68% of you said yes. 32% of you said no. We said, we asked if yes, how do you celebrate Juneteenth? And you responded with similar to the New Year's, New Year's Day Kwanzaa celebration, cultural foods, family stories, joy. Another person said getting together with friends, you know, family cookout, family time just put up the Juneteenth flag and wear my t-shirt hope to do more this year around. Um, someone else said all black, everything, like I should be doing every day. (laughs) Smack face. Um, and then we asked, I I was actually very happy with this response. Um, we said some people have been known to refer to soul food as slave food. So what is it to you? Soul food or slave food? 96% said soul food, 4% said slave food. And then we asked, what is your favorite soul food dish? Which that was probably the most answered. Damn. Yeah, that was definitely the most answered. I
2: got no answers for that on Twitter. We got a
1: lot. I'm scrolling. Yeah, Someone girl. said cast, cast iron cornbread, cornbread, greens, yams, mac and cheese. What's it, so, greens, beans, tomatoes,
0: tomatoes, <laughs>
1: um Someone said stuffing, black-eyed peas, mac and cheese, collard greens, candy yams, mac and cheese, black-eyed peas, greens, Gullah quiche style. Ooh, we know you know what you're talking about because you said Gullah and Gullah is, that is soul. Um, cornbread mac and cheese. I'm going to stop saying cornbread mac and cheese because clearly y'all love it. Um, sweet potato pie. Uh, <laughs> I love this response when the yams touch the mac and cheese to create black excellence.
2: (laughs) That is so perfect. Oh my God. What a black response. Like we're just going to end it there. I think that was so good. Wait, did you guys ever see that key and peel sketch when they like go back and forth and like they're at a diner and they're like in the South and they're ordering like all the different types of soul food? No.
1: and I've seen so many of their
2: sketches. I don't remember that one. Oh, I need to show it after. If you guys, that's like perfect for this episode, but they're like just going back to see like who's Blacker. It's that's so funny.
1: <laughs> well, you need to send it so I can put it on social somewhere. Hopefully they don't, don't, don't take it off because of copyright.
2: <laughs> uh, it's one of my favorite sketches they did. I got to look it
1: up. But that is it for this episode of So-Called Oreos. Thank you all so much for tuning in this week. You can talk to us on social media at So-Called Oreos um, or even better yet, you can join our Discord because then you can talk to all of us, everyone, our audience, us at the same time. And you can email us at Oreos at gmail.com with any questions or feedback. But friends, warning, we did recently receive an unsolicited dick pic in our email and we do not want those. So do not send them. Do not send them. <laughs> you can listen to us anywhere you get podcasts. And we would love, love it if you could rate, subscribe, or leave a review. Until next time. Bye. Bye.
2: Bye. Bye. Yeah. I love
0: you.
2: Bye. 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 Bye.